Hello, Mech Warriors, and welcome to the Mech Bay, where we fix your mech and fix your game. What's going on, Mech Warriors? I'm your host, Josh, and today I have my co-host, Denim, in the Rumble Seat. And riding as our lance mates today, we have Mike and Dan from the podcast Listening to Paint Dry on to talk to us about taking our Battletech miniature painting to a miniature art form. But first, we have some breaking news out of Ironwind Metals. The HPG reads, Dear Valued Ironwind Metals customer, As you are no doubt all aware, prices have skyrocketed in the last year. The cost for the materials that Ironwind uses have all risen dramatically, especially the cost of pewter, which is more than double what it was in December of 2020. Therefore, it is necessary for Ironwind to do a price raise across all lines, effective Saturday, April 16th, 2022. Thanks in advance for understanding and for your business. Sincerely, Michael No, president of Ironwind Metals. Now, unfortunately, we don't know the exact rate increase, and I'd prefer not to speculate. All I can say is this is a great time to stop and get that summer requisition order into your CO, and then fill up that cart with Fortress Miniatures and Games or Ares Games and Miniatures. These two stores will be waiting to see the price jumps and then having to mark up their product according to their contracts. But as of right now, you'll be getting the normal discount locked in at the old prices until this Saturday. So head to Fortress Miniatures and Games or AriesGamesAndMiniatures.com to get the best bang for your C-bill. All right, now let's find out how to get that salvage painted like the rest of the lance. Uh, so let's talk about who you guys are. So you guys are listening to Paint Dry and you're a miniature, I want to say art podcast how would you guys describe yourselves and your history that's and generous oh <laughs> very generous uh. i appreciate it um so you know when dan and i met a few years ago well probably what now god it's about five six years ago shit mike it's probably longer than that at this point who knows i lost track Getting of old. time yeah and um we actually took a painting class together at a nova open uh, it was my my starting to get back into painting. Is actually it was about six years ago, and then um, I only took that one class. And then uh, the next year, I took a bunch of classes, and it just actually happened that Dan was also in all of those classes as well. So we started talking a little bit, yeah. and so it kind of just progressed from there. And then in that time period, I am an avid podcast junkie, um, especially horror fiction and comedy. I I can listen. I, I probably already listened to 15 episodes of podcasts today doing other stuff around the house wow. and such. Um, and so um, I was like, well, there's really all, there's all these gaming podcasts and I, I don't really game. I'd rather, I want to listen wanted to do something with, with the artists that were out there. And then we kind of face that challenge of how do you have a podcast about a visual medium, <laughs> right? You have an audio podcast about seeing things. Um and so I, I, I kind of came up with this idea and bounced it off Dan and I, and he's like, Oh yeah, that sounds interesting. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And he's like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> like, wait, who me? I know. And, and so ever with, since I've been trying to get out of it, but he won't let me go. Nope. Not at all. He's stuck for life. But, uh, um, so that we, that's kind of how it just kind of evolved. There was no, um, there were podcasts that did gaming that kind of touched on painting. Um, and, I wanted a kind of a really good excuse to talk to all these amazing artists um, under the guise of calling it a podcast uh, and picking their brains. And so, you know, it was kind of the way it kind of, kind of how it, uh, it evolved. And, you know, we went through holes 
slews of different like we had formats and all these like we're, we're going to do this we're going to re- you know where each episode we're going to do x y and z and yet that has yet to happen in two years now <laughs> almost 50 episodes yeah i don't think we followed a format ever <laughs> yeah, we try it just doesn't seem to work oh. and one of the reasons uh, you'll notice uh, sometimes we have uh, about an hour-long episode and that comes off of the premise of like you can continue to improve. You got to get the practice in, which I'm sure we'll talk at some point. But usually it makes people, we find that one hour a day is really that like happy medium. Even if it's um, mixing your paint or just doing a highlight or doing a couple lines or something. Not those kind of lines. <laughs> <laughs> um that's fun too. That lasts more than an hour. Clarify. Um, and, it gives, and it gives you that one hour time frame where you can listen to something while you're painting. And if you go beyond that, maybe there's other podcasts out there, TV shows or whatever. Um, but this is just to give that, that one hour basic amount of time where, where you can sit down and we're not, we're not a video because so that takes you away from staring at the screen when you should be, staring at your your figures while you're painting it and that's where kind of our focus is also and we think that's why this is kind of a neat medium to try this Uh, you're driving on you know you're driving uh you're going to work you know if you have that 45 minute half an hour commute you can put in an episode every once in a while and listen to most of it so that's why we try to go for about that one hour and try to communicate about hey what's going on in the hobby world if you really want to see how a technique goes eh, you might watch a five minute video online but we're trying to there just to, you know, take up some of that brain space to, you know, get you through your hour of painting or commuting or just, you know, riding a bike or whatever else you're doing. Yeah, we appreciate it because that's, that's exactly what I use it for is when I'm painting. I want to listen to something. I don't want to have to watch something. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just keeps me focused on the hobby, uh, you know, low key. Yeah. I love it. And, and, you know, one of the things I, I've really loved about it is that, um, while every artist we have on there, the, their story is different. Their struggles and their path forward are really the same. And they struggle like, so artists that are at, that are listening, that are new at it can hear how uh, somebody like an Alfonso Geraldes Banshee or Roman Laplatte, who are considered masters of the art uh, uh, of miniature painting also deal with the same type of struggles that they do. You know, and it's so that they're not alone, even though they see these amazing artwork and it's hard to not get kind of overwhelmed and shell shocked by it and be like, I can never do that. But at least they can see and use it as inspiration because they know the work that they put in, that those guys put into it, that those artists practice and it's been years the, the years in the making, you know, I mean, Roman, for God's sake, went to college to teach art, you know, and so you know, he's definitely got the educational background behind him. And so it's nice to be able to kind of give that back to the community, especially in a context that the community has been so good and open and welcoming to us. And so it's a nice little thing to be able to give back. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's like me, like I've got hundreds, hundreds of mech and I paint as many as I can, but I, I go with the, you know, the arm's length rule where if they look good at arm's length, that's that's good enough for me, except I've got some favorite mechs, like really favorite mechs. And those are the guys that I want to know how to bring that paint job up to the next level. So out of the hundreds of mechs, I might have five that I want to do 
not just a good job, but a perfect job. And your podcast seems to be helping out a lot with that. Hey, well, that's cool. Well, yeah, thank you. And that's one of the things that's interesting. They're one of the things that they kind of teach you that when you take a class, et cetera, like in uh, maybe a larger scale, 75 millimeter figure or something like that, they actually get you to stop painting like for being up close. Um, they kind of do like a, a halfway between arm's length. And that is where you want to kind of be idealistically because um, I know that this is probably not the case in Battletech where it is now as far as painting goes, but kind of the it's switching a little bit to where you're seeing uh, brush strokes on pieces. And but the brush stroke was put there in a certain place on purpose. And so it's designed, it's a brush stroke designed to move your eye, et cetera. Like a great example in like in uh, regular art world is Van Gogh. I mean, everything Van Gogh did, all of his brush strokes were purposeful and had motion. And you're starting to see that transpire more and more, especially in the larger 54 or 75, 120 millimeter figures. Those things are starting to kind of pop out in the world of Battletech. Yeah, that's it. That's an interesting one because your scale is so much smaller. Yeah. Um, and that's really, you know, that you know, I have not painted a Battletech figure, but I think I'm going to need to steal one of Dan's and and paint one. I'll, I'll let you have one. So yeah. I, I guess, um, I, I think Mike is right when we when we play Battletech or even you know that other game, uh, we are we're always picking figures up and that at that distance. So we do have those two and three distances. You know, Mike does the mostly the uh, the detailed work and display work. I do tabletop more because well I suck at regular painting. So you're trying to to make the the your figures pop while they're on the table. And that's why we always say hey that three foot distance because you know that's how far away you are. And um when you when you're talking about like your commanders or you want those very for special pieces, then that's when we will uh, try to enhance those or make those much better quality paint jobs because someone sees oh that's your commander or that's your your force leader or something or your general or your special character, they want to see it and they automatically bring it to their face even though they're not thinking about it. Uh, that's why you have centerpiece and other game systems because you know that's the champion or the the leader and people always gravitate to that because they're more dynamic poses they're bigger beefier you better you know those are the ones that we want to uh, highlight a little bit more than the regular stand around and it saves on time you know with some games when you have you know 50 to 100 pieces um you got to cut that down especially if the meta changes from week to week where we can spend a little bit more time on battle tech is Meta doesn't change over what 20, 30 years. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they do have like they uh, with the Kickstarter, they released the hero mechs, which are uh, you know the, the same mechs but in different poses. So you've got yes. you know Grayson Carlisle's specific Marauder or, mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. Natasha Kerensky's Direwolf. Yeah. So if you have a bunch of Marauders, but that one in the middle is is a different pose, you know he's got to look better. He just has to. Yeah. I have to put the note that Dan has definitely messaged me on a two and a half hour episode. Are you trying to kill your, your uh, people who are painting while you're listening? I was like, <laughs> no, but you know, you think about it. Once you get into that groove, you don't want to stop. So oh, that's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Because, you know, I was thinking, 
you know, you take your half hour of painting and you just, you just, you, your podcast lasts all, all week, but it, it's right. Cause once you get into that, get into that zone, then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, it's been two hours. A, I'm late. B, you know, I don't have any more podcasts for the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely different episodes like that. Cause I know like with Banshee on, I asked like four questions and he spoke for two hours. And <laughs> yeah. so, which was great. That was a fantastic interview. Cause I didn't have to do any work and people didn't want to hear me anyways. They wanted to hear him. So, so yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of us. Kind yeah. Of we talk a lot. <laughs> but yeah, so throughout all of your episodes, you really kind of relate miniature art to contemporary art. Like it is just as valid in the art scene with all your interviews with the artists. And through all those interviews, I'd like to think you've soaked up what I would term the hottest mini painting secrets and like the, uh, the secrets of the masters because you are mm-hmm. talking to the masters. Oh, yeah. Do you want me to handle this one, Dan, or you, you want? Know, you go, I have I have an answer, but I want you I want you to 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 use your words and then um, we'll, use my we'll, words. Yeah, I'll only have three words, but you know. <laughs> go ahead. Um, I think there are definitely some very very common themes that come across from each of the the artists that um, we've had on. Probably the first one is patience and being being absolutely patient with yourself and. Uh, you're your own worst critic and you have to take a, be able to take a step back and uh, enjoy the process and don't ever let the process get in the way of it being fun. Because if it's not fun, then you're not going to have, you're not going to produce good miniatures. I think another kind of common theme is practice that these guys work at, the, these guys paint, uh, guys and gals paint eight to 10 hours a day. And it's just ridiculous to me that somebody could paint that much. But, uh, you know, like, was it Vince Frenchrello paints 45 hours a week plus? And I'm like, how do you, how are you married and have a job, right? That's not miniature painting, but hey, good on him. That's awesome. You know, so it's just, it's a matter of practice. Patience and practice are really kind of, kind of the key. Those are kind of the two, I wouldn't say they're big secrets, but they're kind of impediments because most of the time painters are getting in their own way as opposed to hearing what they like actually seeing what they're doing. And there's an old adage my wife told me about editing that after you proofread something three times, you start reading it from memory. And so you're not actually necessarily reading the words that you wrote, but you're reading from your memory. And so, like, yeah, cause you know where you messed up. You can't help, but look where you messed up on a mini, whereas nobody else would even notice that. Right. Absolutely. I'm curious about Dan's three words now though. <laughs> it's about practice as much as we want to get around the practicing part. That is, I feel the key. There is no, there's a little bit of talent, very little bit of talent when it comes to, to painting uh, figures or any kind of art or or hobby that you do. You got to practice and it sucks. And getting through the ugly phases, it sucks. But yeah. once you get through it and something like sparks, like you're, you get your aha moment on it, you, you grow exponentially at that point. You're like, holy cow, I just did something I didn't think I was going to. Let me see if I can do that again. Then it becomes, it's not a game, it's not a chore, but now you're learning and you're growing. And that's why this practicing is so important. And yes, we want to be able to to go to our favorite artist 
look at what they do and replicate that the first time. But we don't know how many layers of paint, what techniques they're using, unless you're watching their video. But even then, it's fast forward yeah. or they're skipping a couple things. What colors are they using? That's why we always like looking at uh, recipes. What recipes did you use? Oh, I used a red. I used a dark red and I used a light red. Well, there's 50 shades in there. Well, figure out how to use them all. I mean, that's it's practice. You got You go in there and you do it and you do it again and you do it again. And hey, you know what? I could use the, the same five or six figures all the time because I'm I'm the kind of person who, if I'm not happy with a paint job or if I don't, and it's a bad thing, it's a bad thing technique to use. But I do strip my figures if it's like a figure that I don't um, particularly like the color scheme that I'm using. I'll, I'll go ahead and just strip them and start all over again. And no, Mike, I'm not stripping my models because that's a different podcast. No, I was going to make a joke about you <laughs> visiting Lake Green stuff or Simple Green, um, you know, constantly where you dip your models in. It's like, hey, <laughs> guess what? Yeah, because I'm, I'm painting a yellow uh, figure right now. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I realized that it was supposed to be more of a gold color. So before I knew it, I didn't have my recipe written down, like what I was going to be using. I didn't have my my techniques. I didn't have my limiters or my uh, my palette set up properly. And before I knew it, uh, a two-color yellow turned into six different colors of yellow. And then I had oranges in there and browns. I'm like, no, I messed this up because I didn't control and think about what I was doing. So, yes, that is going into the drink until I can uh, – clean it off and I'll go find another figure somewhere and I'll go ahead and repaint that one starting with the proper yellow and making sure that I stay within, within my recipe and make sure I'm not just doing whatever. It's good on you for, uh, you know, recognizing that it was time to stop because that's, that's something I struggle with. It's like, I will, I will just keep fighting uphill taking massive losses until like it's, it's done. And I can call it okay. It's not what I wanted, but it's okay. And it's, it's over. like a giant rubber band ball. It's got so much pain on it. <laughs> I think like, you know, like some colors you can like, I think you can do that with, but yellow, I mean, that's got, I, I got like the lemon yellow to golden yellow to this weird looking okra look yellow. And I have everything in between. And then it just, it just looks like a little baby crapped all over it. It just, was that secret weapon? That secret uh, weapon, uh, baby poo, right? Baby poo uh, yeah. miniature wash. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing, if you don't mind me adding, is um, I no. think one of the things I learned. I'm not. I'm ignoring Dan. <laughs> I feel like uh, as uh, miniature painters, we often ask ourselves stupid questions. Like we say, ask the question: Does this space marine look realistic? <laughs> Does this elf look realistic? Does this dwarf look? Re- you know. And we ask if there's a per- if this is a perfect blend, et cetera. And the realization is, space marines don't exist. <gasps> They're not real. There's no perfect blends in nature. Even if you look at a flower and you see that it's got a gradient from white to pink, you could see the you could see splotches of where it is just a cut off line. And so we get hung up on perfection and realism when, again, getting in our own way. Uh, of actually painting good miniatures, you know, just like I'll ask the question, what does a, what does a battle tech mech look like in real life? You know, the one that's down the street from me is, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> Hold on, I'll be right over. Right, exactly. You want an address? All right. Uh, actually, that kind of, and I don't want to parlay this conversation, but this is a little bit what you guys were talking about last week with uh, hoppy progression and that sort. And it, you know, you can't get sidetracked very easily um, by asking those kind of questions. Like, am I trying? What am I searching for? And if you keep searching for something, uh, actually, that. That's probably not correct. If you're you're trying to make something perfect, you know, in your painting, um, it becomes more of a chore and it's less of a hobby. It's less fun. And then you start to associate the non-fun part with it. And then you're like, why am I doing this? It's supposed to be a stress reliever. It's not supposed to create stress. It's supposed to be something you're supposed to be proud of, not something you're upset about. And that, that's where we get trapped sometimes. And that's that mental block or that getting your own way and you have to get through that or not even not even ask yourself those questions just have fun with it you're not unless you're at a certain level but you've you've had the time to develop those defense mechanisms for that like hey you know i know this blend needs to be perfect but i've done this blend five thousand times i know how to do this blend without thinking about it so that's not going to be something that's going to stress me out um, then you can start to pick and prod at your figures, but we're, we're a bunch of people, we're gamers. Well, on our level over here, Mike is a, a display guy, but we're gamers mostly. So we just want good looking guy uh, figures on our table and have fun with them. We want to play the game. Um, so they don't have to be works of art. It'd be nice to have them there, but they don't necessarily need to be there. And if that starts to, to hamper how we're painting and how we're playing, and how we're using up our hobby time, um, maybe we should, you know, just take a step back and take a deep breath and do some lines. <laughs> I, for one, don't want all of my miniatures being museum pieces because then the Indiana Jones, the uh, it belongs in a museum will kick in. It's like, I can't take this, my favorite mech out on the table. It could get chipped or scratched or something. Yes. And actually, that's a good thing to, 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 to bring up. Um, when we have, uh, big art shows, they're not normally gaming pieces. They're a display piece. People don't want to put those like, Oh, I can't put that out there. Someone might scratch it. Someone might drop it. It might break. Very rarely do we actually see pieces that are game pieces like, Hey, hold on. I got to use, can I take the guy back out of the case so I can go play with him for a little bit and I'll bring him back. I mean, that's pretty balls to the wall, but, um, it doesn't happen very much. Not not where we're at right now, I think, with the art uh, and the hobby and how big tabletop games is at this point. Yeah, because I'm, I'm the, the demo guy over at uh, our, our store, so I'm expected to bring enough supplies for people who are new and don't have any themselves. And, and you know, we were told people will be playing with your mechs. You know, bring the ones, you paint them. We want them painted. But you have to understand that they're going to get dropped. They're going to get chewed on. They're going to get stepped on. You know, things will happen. It will be bad. If you have favorite mechs that you really like, don't bring those. <laughs> yeah. And don't let me touch them. I'll break them. Aww. I break everything I paint. <laughs> I, I pay, uh, chewing on minis apparently is a thing at conventions that people do, which boggles my mind because I started playing back in the day when it was lead minis with lead based paint like real lead they're yeah. so sweet though if you've never if you've never chewed on a lead miniature mm. oh it's like candy oh. this is why i don't bring them near josh warning don't Again. don't ingest miniatures oh. but yeah so i've got you know 
like I said, I've got my favorites that I want to be works of art, but those aren't the ones that I'll be bringing just to the table for people to play with. Those are my, those are my arm's length. They're, they're good enough. Minis. Exactly. And if you have one, you know, Hey, it's, it's your commander or your champion and you make it too good. Like, Whoa, you know, do you get into that realm where you're like, Hey, you know what? Maybe I just need to put it in the case. Then it just sits in a case and your mech warrior's like, Hey, what the hell's going on, man? We got to <laughs> stomp some heads, but you got me locked in this big freaking glass case. Uh, Got to get out of here. Um, so I, I get it. And it's, it's that, you know, it's, it's that transition. I think when you're, when you're a gamer and you start, you know, getting better and better at painting and then slowly some of your pieces start to migrate over to display pieces. You're like, wait a minute, what's going on? And it, and that's cool. If you're, if you're, if your hobby journey is transitioning into that, that that's where I'm at. Mike was definitely that because he started out with gaming and then transitioned to, to, to pieces itself or display pieces. Um, I'm almost, I'm like in the middle of the transition. I don't mind a display piece here and there, but I'd rather just go play games if I can. I like having yeah. like large armies to command to my willpower. And if I feel like destroying them all, then yay. Or, you know, they usually fail anyway, but. So it's, you referenced our last episode and, and, you know, you know, what my motivation is people to see the, the stuff that, you know, my progress and, and, and the awesome things stuff. I can't bring it out and play with it. You know, what, what did I, what did I paint this thing for? If I can't play with it on the table, but I don't want you to play with it. I want, I want to play with it. <laughs> you, know, you can play with any of these, but this one, this one I'm playing with. So originally I had gotten back into the, like, into the hobby because my son found my box of space Marines. And I was like, Oh, I, I remembered, you know, I did this for about a year in high school when it was called rogue trader. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And so I was going to get, I got back in, uh, tried to get back into gaming, but with three young kids and I was in school, I was getting my master's. Like I wasn't getting a chance to even play until like midnight. Um, and so I just kind of painted for a little bit. And then when my dad passed, I was kind of stuck at his house by myself working and putting things together and like, you know, trying to get everything ready to move. And that's when I kind of really got into painting. And then I went to the Nova open right after that. And it was all like, it's all downhill from there about painting. I was kind of like, I saw the display cases and went, Ooh, I want to do that. (laughs) So I was a wannabe gamer. I don't want to like discredit other gamers by actually saying I was a gamer. I think I've played maybe, three games of 40 K and two games of age of Sigmar. Um, so fun. there we go. That's the, you now have my gaming experience. It uh, counts. You played. Yeah. You've rolled, rolled dice. dice. Yeah, that's right. Even yeah. though the two games of age of Sigmar were demos at games workshop. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can we stop talking about games workshop? They get enough press. That's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> Nobody I'll knows. They actually sponsor this whole whole thing yeah. this, this no, Josh, you, you sponsoring them is not the same you buy enough of their stuff you've put how many of their kids through college <laughs> no crap yeah oh dan's not one dan has got no word like when he says oh, armies that's what he's talking about yeah i i enjoy collecting my armies most of them are gray <laughs> gray or black but um hey uh, i've seen be- your uh was it your felt belt yes guys Oh, a little spot, a splash of orange. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what? I had something written down. I didn't bring it. I was like, so um, 
for you one or two people that don't know who they are, the the Felt Felt Coalition are a bunch of farmers. And uh, and so I was thinking today, I was like, isn't that kind of funny? Like everybody's like, ha, <laughs> who would go to a, a world with just all farmers and get their asses kicked? And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so there's my zing for the for the month. Oh, was it? Uh, my joke was going to be for Dan that uh, you beat beat Dustin. That's why you're over here on our turf recording. <laughs> <laughs> nah, didn't he beat me by like a point or something? It it was a tie when it came to actual game score. Oh, if I remember right. And I think if it's right, it was supposed to be lava, and we said it was just going to be like water instead. And then yeah. He, and then, and then he parked all his mechs and got all the freaking <laughs> heat bone. I was like, oh man. I was like, hey, I totally forgot about like cooling, <laughs> cooling your heat on this. Yeah, as he decided to just uh, process into uh, destroying half of my max. But that's <laughs> all right. That was that was a fun game. That was a fun game. Oh, they were all fun. Jeez, I, I had a blast doing all of them. Yeah, I remember all the text I was getting from him about how 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 much of a good time he was having down in North Carolina. I had a blast, man. I you know I think one part of it was. Um, getting out for the first time in a long time, but you know what? Everybody was there is pretty darn cool. Everybody was just happy. Battletech players friendly. are real chill, and they are yeah, compared such... to compared to the rest of the of the communities. <laughs> I is... would say that that they are pretty darn chill. Yes, uh, and that is true. It is a completely different world, and it's a good world that I don't mind being involved with. Um, and then once you like start like whispering in someone's ear they all like creeping out of the closets and they're you know, that's probably a really horrible thing to say um, <laughs> i'm not even coming, following out, coming, coming out of the woodwork um well i go to one tournament and before i know it there's like 40 players in my area i'm like where did you guys where did y'all come from i didn't know all you people are around here and they just keep coming out all right, what other questions you got? Let's let's go down this journey, man. There's there's lots of cool stuff we can talk about with painting and battle tech and non other company stuff. <laughs> I'm so, only speaking in terms of battle tech from now on. There yes. we go. So before yes, we get this- to the iceberg, because like I said, the iceberg was what broke me as a painter. Like felt felt called out. I was like, so like I said, you guys mainly work in the upscaled upscale we're not like macy's oh. <laughs> well, we're, we're the main we're more like coals of uh oh, i was gonna no. say kmart yeah <laughs> dollar store maybe <laughs> dollar store painting right. come get your paint supplies from dan and mike if it wasn't for the dollar store i wouldn't have any basing material <laughs> well you know what i bet someone will bring something up about basing because battletech's got some interesting basing that you can do my goodness, Josh's wife does the best basing on his mechs I've ever seen. I do the basing. She does the painting, sir. How dare you? My basing is award-winning. My paint schemes are passable. <laughs> they look good either way. <laughs> but so, like I said, when you're painting battle mechs, they're the biggest one is three inches. Like they are tiny, but the other issue is we have mixed media we have plastic we have metal we have lead just due to the 20 to 30 year old age so i find there's it's very hard to keep a consistent paint technique and scheme especially when i'm trying not to go for like showpiece quality but like high level tabletop like for maybe a painting competition at a tournament or something 
Like, do you have any different approaches when you handle something like that? Yes. That, the bottom line is, yes, there are different approaches. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a good example of using uh, uh, iron winds compared to, to the plastics. Yeah. Because like a, even a relatively newer iron winds mech has like, it's, it's still metal. It has flat spaces. Some places, you know, they want you to put a big decal there, but it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's practically a square. Like I'm painting a, a box with legs and I'm like, well, so, well, we can get into a technique with that. That's, that's, I think we have a, a good answer with that one. Um, I think the original, the, the, the big part is, is prep. The metal figures, every single one of us know they suck, mm. especially us that, you know, that's all we had when we first started back in the eighties was all the lead. Um, and you're using different materials to get them ready but if you look at some of the figures that were made back then and look at their paint jobs and we know that they're different techniques nowadays there's a little bit more um uh i guess importance on those techniques nowadays compared and more traditional techniques compared to just gamers like we used to be um and you'll notice hey you can see those uh, mold lines you can see gashes in the metal you know, some of the premium ones, you know, they will, they'll do a good sanding job on it with files. Uh, they'll uh, um, probably put um, putty or something in them to make sure that they're smooth. Uh, that used to be a thing a long time ago was, um, what was that stuff called? It was kind of like green stuff, but it wasn't, or milliput. And you would, you would make it like a paste, a really, really thin paste, watered down like fifty. Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got some of that stuff over on my desk. And it's white, and it, it yeah, it, it, and you yeah. would put it all over your your figures. And what would happen yep. is, is it makes this like plasticky shell. So if yes. you sand it, you get rid of all the little nicks and dings in it, and it makes it a little smoother canvas for you to paint on. So for prepping for metals, yes, um, plastics is a little easier. You get rid of a couple mold lines. You can use the back of a. Um, uh, a scalpel or a exacto blade or just sand it off. Um, but once, once you're done with that, I don't think there's much difference, a good base um, prime and you can go with it. That's, that's the only real difference. The, the physical manipulation of the figures and that's it. Painting's going to be the same. We're going to use the same techniques, use the same kind of paints, same color paints, and go from there. It's not much different. Um, <clears throat> it's just putting them together. So basically, yes, that's what it is. Um, hey, Dan, let me throw something in really quickly sure, there too. Ahead. Before before you go on to the painting side of it, um, one of the issues sometimes with those that when you go from plastic to metal to resin is that they're all going to have a different surface texture. Um, and so metal often is pitted because of the talcum powder that they use to keep it inside the mold. So you kind of get that like burnishy looking powdery surface on it. That's showing you that it has pits in it. Resin is porous. And so it can, it's one of the reasons why we prime resin is because we want to make sure it doesn't uh, absorb the paint or cause damage. And then of course, plastic is an ideal medium, but it's got its own limitations as well. Um, I have a few, and this is something that was, uh, I, I wanted to try it and kind of accidentally found out what the Gundam people have known for generations is that the Mr. Hobby surfacer primers are sheer perfection. Um, I had a piece that I did for ReaperCon last year where um, the 
the piece was kind of like a half human, half giant. Um, and just as I was cleaning it up and going, I'm like, God, I love this model, but the surfaces are too pitted. And I've kind of researched online, anything to do about it. I hit it with two coats of the surfacer 1200 and it was smoother than it was as smooth as plastic. Wow. And I was like, this has just changed my life. And so when you're using something that like, if you're doing a model, that's multiple, like I have a few that are like resin with metal conversions. Um, something like a Mr. Surfacer could be a game changer. Uh, and we're not sponsored by him at all, but I, I, if they're listening, hell yeah, send me <laughs> some cans. I love that stuff, man. That's all I prime with now. Uh, every uh, That's what I pride. Like I don't, don't even use airbrush primer anymore. I just use the can. I, I went from starting with Rust-Oleum to now I'm back to cans again, but so yeah, yeah, because the Kickstarter come, you know, a lot of people got the um the dropship, which is just like you said, it's the resin with metal bits that you that you glue on there. So it's the multi uh, different surface, different materials. So um, I was wondering what I was going to do about that. I think I'll try that. I think I'll try the surfacer. Oh, it's so good. And I I started out with the twelve hundred gray, and now I've got I've gotten like the twelve hundred black and fifteen hundred black. You know, and the the higher the number, the finer it is. So right. if you go lower, right. it's right. thicker. Um, I know people and Gu- I know Gundam's Gundam builders. You also use like 100 and 500 to fill gaps as well. So apparently it's that, you know, I guess Mr. But it, it's probably going to give us cancer, but you know, it's really worth it for the nice smooth models. I've made it this long, you know? Yeah. Right. And you, you're, you know, and, and, and Josh has been chewing lead. So, you know, <laughs> he he's day to day at this point, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the horror stories from working with chemicals, I could tell. I, but I'm pretty sure the chameleon I gave you the other day, Josh, was I not actually, lead. I, I, I checked. I, I was actually a little worried. I was like, the coloring think, on this packaging is a little suspect. Yeah, it was old. It's a, it's an old one, but I think it's still that, that radilium or something. Yeah, it told us on there it was lead-free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I did a Kickstarter a couple years ago. Uh, the... Uh, the custodies dancers, Mike, and um, <laughs> and um, and they were metal, so they still do it. I mean, it's still easy to do. It's fast. It's cheap. It's uh, it's probably the best way to get it going. Uh, obviously, we want to expand, you know, past uh, fine cast and resin and get into some good plastics. But it's a crime that Dan has not painted those yet. <laughs> I know well, they're shame. they're there, but every time I look at them, I'm like. Man, Dude, do I really want to do all that flesh? There are space marines in thongs. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to be knocking GW, that's what that's how you do it. <laughs> Pixar didn't happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Josh had mentioned basing. Like the only thing I know about basing is that uh, you can't use like static grass right out of the package for battle mechs because oh, they're God. too big. It's not grass. I, I hate the static grass people. I'm sorry. It, <laughs> you throw static grass on it. I lo- like it could be a perfect paint job. And honestly, I see a lot of great painted battle mechs and like it's the regular single microfiber <laughs> flocking. And I'm like, how dare you? Oh, come on, Josh. Thanks. Cause I do, I do have I some on there, but I try and make it look like bushes, not like grass. You know, I try and make it look like, like shrubberies or hedges, you know, something tall. I try and, and trim it up a bit so it, you know, isn't supposed to be grass. I'm not trying to make it look like grass. I even if it boulders there for size, but uh, <laughs> yeah, my only that that but that's the only technique I know is don't 
don't try and make grass look like grass because mechs are, are just way too big. Um, yes. Do you guys have any other other good? Well, if you wanted to do, actually, I showed Mike a long time ago, and I was my uh, my my Filtvelt guys were actually going to be on farm. So remember, I was going to have um, mm-hmm. rows of, of crops of uh, gosh, <laughs> rows of uh, like little bushes that had like berries on them and stuff like that. Turnips. And, Turn us, yes, and no, uh, decided not to do it because I just didn't. I just didn't have the heart to, to continue doing that. But there's different size um, flocking that you can use. There's really, mm-hmm. really like powdery thin stuff, and you can use that for grass. That's perfect. Uh, use the little bigger clumps, or make your own little clumps to make the bushes and shrubs. Make sure you dry brush it to give it a little bit of de- definition, or throw some some um, some inks or shades on them just to give that little bit of a transition and you're good to go. Uh, it's something that took me a little longer on the, um, the battle tech stuff, because I, when I first started, that was the first thing I did. Cause I like those little uh, tufts. I love tufts. And you put one on, you're like, well, actually this would be like a 12 foot tall tough. It's like, I can't think of many that were like this. So there is a company that makes, and I don't have it. If you guys remind me, it's upstairs. They make really, really short ones. They're like one or two millimeters and they're tiny little tufts. And they're like, they would be like knee high to a mech warrior on, on our scale. So those are really good and they have really good colors too. So you put one or two of those out there instead of the big giant ones, unless that's the atmosphere and you're able to tell like, Hey, it's an alien planet and all their plants are 30 feet tall or throw some trees in there. (laughs) Go ahead, Mike. Uh, you're the, you're the base expert, man. So you can give them all kinds of ideas. You know, most of the time for people, basing is an afterthought. It's like, I got to get it done. It's got to have it ba- based and everything like that. It's funny though, because it actually can really add, I think. And I think in a world of like something like a battle tech, um, you're always, you're talking about scaling, right? The static grass doesn't look right. I'm going to tell you static grass doesn't look right on any scale. Hmm. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm, uh, the only thing I ever use static grass for is I mix it in the texture paste to make it look like matted down grass. And so, and I like maybe put it under feet under a blood bowl player or something along those lines or a guild ball player. But probably the, the, the best thing to think about is first when you're deciding on your environment, what do you want to include on it? Right? So most of your, ba- I would imagine most of your battle tech, bases are probably pretty flat so you probably have a ton of people who use crackle paste right so everybody looks like they're Mm -hmm. in a desert and things along those lines a lot Um, of browns a lot of greens because the maps are brown and green a lot of browns a lot of greens right and so um kind of what when i'm doing uh smaller scale stuff and i've done um i've done figures that are as big as a penny um you know like and so one of the things you try to do like uh pair of scissors on a tuft uh it works well well, like a little uh manicure scissors Mm -hmm. and just keep cutting it down and cutting it down and cutting it down till it looks right but i think see that's what the interesting aspect of the challenge so i'm totally gonna have to do uh, dan's gonna have to give me a mech so i'm totally gonna have to do like a display style mech now um i love new challenges i want to do all like everything from a gundam to a train to an airplane i want to do them all by the time i'm done with the with the hobby but uh Think about a few things. First, the focal point is the miniature, but what interesting can you add to the base? It's a constant running joke on gaming bases for like D&D and any other thing else. If it doesn't have a skull, it's not a base, <laughs> right? 
doesn't count. Even if you're doing a shiny, happy lake display piece, if there's no skull, it doesn't count. So what are things I think, I think Dan missed a, a golden opportunity with those uh, farmer mechs to use a little bit of like the woodlands uh, scenic. They have that coarse or the fine tufts that you not tufts, but uh, it's like shredded foam. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah taking a little bit of PVA and then drizzling ultra fine colored sand on it and then blowing it off. And then you've got something that looks something like realistic flowers that might be more into scale. Ooh. And so that I type ha- of, I do have pictures of the demo where I, I did something on those lines. Well, um, I, you made me bring you all this colored sand. And so I did. And yet here I, I'm left hanging. So, um, uh, do you want it back? It's no. a little vial. It's only this big. It, no, it's all good. It It'll back. last you forever too. It probably will. Right. <laughs> right. And so the, it's interesting things like that. You know, um, I, I once dealt, I, I kind of on the opposite side of it, I did a, uh, a Reaper frost giant. Um, and so in order to make it really look ridiculous, um, I built like these like one millimeter trees and like kind of put it all around it to kind of give the perception of how, like stupid biggie was. And so basically it was taking a toothpick, the end of a toothpick and kind of uh, dipping it in glue and sprinkling it with static grass and cutting it back and sprinkling it with static grass until I got something that kind of looked like a tree, like kind of like a pine tree. And then I kept not being able to figure out how to put it on the damn base. Cause I'm like, every time I, you know, but anyways, it, it just, those kind of neat little things to think about and the nice thing too is the smaller the scale like that the less perfect it has to be you're also now just giving off the appearance of it and so that's kind of my i guess advice through experimentation don't use uh like yeah just kind of use other things that uh like use the standard stuff but at a smaller level or at a, a, at a lesser level. The other thing I would say is herbal tea. Herbal tea has become one of the most, I'm a, totally a crutch on herbal tea for all scales. And uh, basically what I do now, take herbal tea, put it in a mortar and pestle. And if you look at it, it looks like roots and things along those lines and mm. just kind of grind it up in a mortar and pestle until I get it to the scale I want and then mix it in with some brown paint and super glue. And then you've got a forest floor. Whoa. Or you've got mud, you know what I mean? Like you've got really interesting mud. That's not just brown gritty stuff. You know, like you have stuff that's that, that'll have things that might look like a downed tree in the context of battle tech. Yeah. Because like you said, like with your giant and, and, and everything like mechs are big, mechs are really big, but you can't always tell that. And often it's up to like the basing to be able to show the scale. You know, the, the basing will make or break the scale of a mech. And I have no idea how to, how to, how to do that properly. Well, you know what the other, th- like you can also have an opportunity to have fun with green stuff too, right? Think about just in context, like if you wanted to have your mech smashing a car, yeah. right? How hard would it be to make a shape like a car in general for out of green stuff that's that small? Right. It's you could get it close enough pretty quickly with the even just you make a brick type shape and kind of 
push around a little bit and you got a car shape and then you take your mech foot and kind of smash it on the top of it a bit. And there you go. You know, you got a car, uh, a mech smashing a car. Yeah. Cause I've got plenty of, of uh, like urban bases, but none of them have cars on there. So I got to add a car into that, make it actually look really, I can't remember where it was either Instagram or Facebook or something where someone was using the urban um, bases and they had um, street lights. And that really like, I've never seen that before. And I was like, wow, now you get a really good idea of how tall this thing is because now you have this line of streetlights or actually there's like one or two of them, but that's it. Uh, But you have an idea and it puts a little bit more into that story other than it's a flat gray um, road. You don't even know if it's a road. You don't know if it's just a gray desert out there. You don't know what that is, but you know, you put your medians in there or you put little lines and we do a lot of the, of the cork board, um, the cork, cork base. Yeah, with the, the I hate cork. <laughs> yeah. But for urban camo, it's awesome. I or camo for urban uh, bases. Fish. I think it's fantastic because it has just that right amount of texture to give that kind of concrete feel to it. Yeah. But you can see cork a mile away. I know, but like you, you know can what? look at My it and go, that's urban- cork, you know? Well, yeah. Is that why you gave me all the cork? Yes. Yeah, okay. Cause yes. I don't use it anymore. Cause I, I, <laughs> Um, so there's a, there's a lot of fun stuff you can do too. The other, Oh, you know, Dan, my therapy session would help as well in this situation. So what I do is I will roll out a super sculpy firm, uh, which is the hard kind of hard stuff. And I'll roll it like super thin into like these sheets. Then I'll put it inside a Ziploc bag after it's baked and hardened and cooled, and then just take a hammer to it. And what you get is as you keep hammering it, you get all different shapes and sizes. So for Battletech down at the bottom, all of your micro crumbs are down there is urban rubble for Battletech. Yeah, nice. Yeah, you put that like around the foot so it looks like it's stomping through the street and just, just cracking all the, the pavement. Exactly. Yeah. Breaking up bits. I like it. I don't know. Am I being too specific? I'm not yeah, sure no, if you no, wanted more perfect. general. I mean, I have two crutches when it comes to basing. Uh, the first one is using other miniatures as bases. Yes, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Always looks great though. Like no, no yeah. one. Oh, you you used money. I can see you just crumpled up dollar bills. <laughs> essentially. Yeah, I got a salvage bag, Josh, just for that reason. Because you know the the catalyst they they came up with a bunch of uh, like the failed the failed bits, so they just put them mm-hmm. in bags for for ten bucks or whatever, and you just got a random assortment of heads, arms, torsos. That's awesome. Um, and then, uh, you know, that way you can have a guy like stepping on the cockpit of another guy. Or if you're a 3D printer, all your misprints, you could just chop them up. <laughs> 100%. Yes. But, uh, another idea, too. I don't know if you guys know um, the International Plastic Modeler Society. Um, I, I'm not sure where you guys are based, but there's chapters all over the U.S. And one of the things that's uniform at their meet, their monthly meetings, they have a bits table. And that people just come and dump bits of all different shapes and sizes and stuff. I, I go to the meeting just like with a bag and I'm like, ooh, there's a missile I could use for something else. And ooh, there's a broken tire. And, you know, like there's so many. I actually was able to put a figure together like from like like people kept bringing in. They were working on the same kits. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, these fi- these all fit together nicely. But um, that's where I get you like you get random tank tracks and things along those lines, et cetera. Um, but you know, this be being creative with it is a lot of fun because every time I go into like a Walmart or dollar store, I wind up buying wood sticks, like the wood crafting sticks. 
Um, and so I've turned them into train tracks, wooden plank floors, signs, you, you kind of name, name it on multiple different scales. And so the only thing that's limiting you is, is, uh, you're blocking yourself because it's all out there for you to do. And if you make a mistake, cover it with mud, you know, cover it with texture paste and problem solved, you know, or just, you know, what you could do is pour them all on clear resin bases and be done. <laughs> oh no, don't do that. Oh. So my second thing I just need to touch on is a uh, Vallejo water texture because mm-hmm. that is probably been on more miniatures than I want to admit. And it <laughs> looks great because just a little bit of texture, green stuff, just to like give it like shoreline or lake riverbed. And mm-hmm. then I just, I don't, I don't even do grass flocking anymore. I just paint the grass on because I have perfect control over what and where I want it to be. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing, you know, flowers, just dry brush stipple, but <laughs> But most of the time, it's like I'm painting like dark to light shades of blue and then going over it with a wash to blend it. And then layering uh, the Vallejo texture just kind of gives the nice gloss and that catches your eye. You go to the mech, then you go back down to the base and you're constantly bouncing forth. So it, it normally looks better. And, and you know what? Don't be afraid to use the base to point to the miniature. So one of the things that in a composition class we talk, uh, I teach is we talk about lines and uh, uh, lines and shapes. And so um, you could do like if you were doing your shoreline, you could kind of do mini waves that all kind of point towards your mech. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you were going through, like you had a mech that was wrecking a city and was taking down power lines, the poles could all be pointing towards the mech, you know, just things that kind of draw your eyes to like follow, basically follow in lines towards where you want them to be. It's uh, mind control. Like have the power line like hooked on his arm where he dragged through it and the power, the poles actually being dragged behind him. That would be fantastic. Yep. And there's something, yeah, like, you know, and at the angle of the power, you know, the power pole is all, of course, pointing towards, right. him, you know, and maybe if it was a urban theme where you had a couple of little cars, that cars would also be facing towards the mech. And so even if the back of the car was facing the viewer, the front of the car is where the person's going to look towards it and yeah. guess where you are now you're at the mech. So just kind of little like tricks like that can keep people focused. Little tiny stuff can keep, you know, focused and then throw something unusual in there too. Like a skull. Well, yeah, you know, and there's exactly like a skull or, um, well, that little grain of sand right there that on a battle tech, that's a, that's a skull, right? Um, so, uh, one of the artists that we had on recently, uh, did a massive zombie, whatchamacallit, uh, diorama and it's what 407 miniatures. Um, but interlaced in there is a zombie Harry Potter, a zombie chicken suit, uh, a zombie Elvis. All the colors on these are yellow. And so everything else is kind of this greenish gray zombie things. But in there, boom, little yellows kind of grab your eyes. You know what I mean? And guess what? That triangle, you look straight up from that triangle and there are the survivors. Nice. You know, and so that's that to me, that's just sorcery. From the, you know, like it's the human brain. It can be it can be tricked and pulled in any you know any direction you want it to be. Absolutely, and and you know that we we and also all we think about too how we read. We read left to right, and so um, a lot of times we'll look at the miniature and we'll start at the left side of it and go across it because that's just how we're trained to read our entire lives. 
So those are those are fun. Co- composition is a is a is a thing that's really a lot of fun to me. Um, when when I do a class, we actually do uh, we examine how people look at internet pages. Um, and so basically, if you were to study the eye movement on an internet page, it kind of looks like an F. Mm-hmm. Um, and anywhere there's walls of text, it, you know, there's nothing there. Like there's no eye movement on it because you don't even need like you know in your peripheral vision, you're not going there because it's a wall of text. And so kind of the thing is to me, it's like, don't let your, your, your base be your wall of text, right? You, you want to make something a little bit interesting, keep people there. It's, it's not the focus of your miniature, but it can't hurt. You know what I mean? I will do my bases first just because I enjoy that so much. And then I have to build or paint the miniature to meet the expectation of the base. And don't the the one thing for listeners the, the number one mistake that we see in like competitions, like when we're judging competitions, is that you'll have a pristine, pretty miniature standing in a dusty, <laughs> dirty environment. This is this is not the problem with our current Discord uh, followers, uh, listeners, because they they love putting mud and stuff all mm-hmm. over the, these these mechs. It's it's really nice. And, and, but there is such thing as too much, <laughs> which I did that with a robot. I was like, I'm going to weather this out of this thing. And boy, did I now it looks like shit. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, it, I'm make, good. I'm good with the six pilot. He just falls down a lot. So you know, it's mixing the mud constantly. <laughs> Well, you know, and it was a challenge too, because, you know, we're always constantly looking for contrast. And so we're constantly like pushing shadows darker and darker and pushing highlights lighter. But as it gets closer and closer to black, how do you really weather that with like a using brown or chipping and stuff where you can actually mm-hmm. see it without being on top of a miniature? It's kind of, it's kind of harder to do when you're like, uh, most of my we- weathering and stuff I do is freehand. And so it's a lot harder to weather like lines and chips and stuff on a red model that you've gotten all the way, you know, your shadows are almost black. And so anything you paint over that black, guess what translucent red does? It turns to black, you know? So it's just kind of like, damn it, I'm stuck. You know, (laughs) that's literally why I have like dark uh, black granite countertops is so no one could see where I made all my spills and stuff. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. All right. So we've covered, uh, you know, scale and basing and painting. Uh, I want to talk about like someone who comes from like Warhammer or Dungeons and Dragons. Now you're painting almost entirely exclusively inorganic, sharp angles, flat spaces. And what do you do to kind of like fill those? Because nothing looks worse than a giant flat, same color panel. You know, you start getting into theory of, of painting. A mech is essentially a subassembly of rectangles, and when you start, when you uh, go down to the, when you when you drill down into it, if you're going to do highlighting and shadowing of these rectangles, well, what direction does the light come from? And you start to build off of that. Um, there are numerous um, videos online on how to do that uh it's it's basic shapes you have circles you know where's your where's your light coming from uh where's it dissipating where you know where your shadow is going to be on that uh if you have a cylinder or cone it's just that i'm not going to say basic art uh because i still don't understand all of it um but as i look at BattleTech, um i think it's pretty cool that a majority of them are going to be kind of blocky 
which makes it a little bit easier. And then from there, you have to determine like, how do you want, do you want to modulate it? Do you want to, you know, just make it very natural looking? How do you want to paint it? Um, Are you doing every single little box or every uh, plate and highlighting each and each and every one of those, or you just dry brushing it? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a big hunk of metal that's out in, in an environment dry brushing probably isn't that bad, especially if folks are doing any kind of weathering on it. You're not going to look for those super fine details unless you're wanting that to be your, um, your display piece or your, uh, uh, I guess your, your force commander or something along those lines, um, or your, your centerpiece. Then you'll take a little bit more time to do it. Are you going to put your shadows in there? Where are you going to put your shadows, put a little bit more time into some blending, uh, use some, uh, different decals or uh, some colors to, to accent it. Um, but I don't think you'd really change a whole lot. You're going to use the exact same techniques using a space Marine or a very organic creature um, to, to a mech. I don't think the, I don't think there's a much of a difference between the techniques that you would use. I think it's just understanding how, how those shapes and lights interact and, I know that much, but I can't explain it because it just makes my brain implode. Mike understands it. Mike knows he can talk to us forever about that. So I'll let Mike talk to us about it. I mean, you're, there's <laughs> not really much more to add to it than Dan. It's just every form of art from sketching illustration to painting canvases is the breaking down of objects into shapes. And really mechs are probably mostly, like you said, rectangles and, and uh, cylinders throwing a couple cones here and there, right? You're in good, you know, and if you study the way light reflects off of those size of objects, then you're in pretty good shape as far as how to modulate. I think, I don't know. I just think Battletech offers such a, because the scale is kind of on a smaller thing, I feel like you can have more of a kind of F at all kind of go however you want because, I mean, I don't know, like, you know, if you were to do a shade or on, let's say the side of a tank, Right. So your the way light reflects off of that, typically your shadow is going to be closer to the bottom. Right. And that you'll have a nice bright line down at the bottom where you're separating between panels and such. You you can do that in the mech scale. It'll be a lot faster to do uh, because it's, it, it's smaller. But is that going to make the mech look interesting? I'm not 100 percent sure because it because. I would say you would do it, but don't go as kind of as high because you'll start getting muddy. Right. I feel like like your scale, like at the 28 to 30, 28 and above, we're always talking about adding and bumping up contrast, increased contrast. Right. You post something on Facebook and somebody and you want feedback, they say push contrast. And you're like, what the hell does that mean? And I think in your scale like that, the contrast isn't as necessary. While it's important, it doesn't have to be obsessively important. Right. Like things like you're probably going to be more interested in. Can they pull off weathering at that scale? Can they, you know what I'm saying? Like it's really hard. Like a lot of times we use the rule of thirds when we're painting a figure that we break down the figure into thirds, the highest highlights at the top and the lowest shadow is at the bottom. Right. You can do that with a mech, but you're dealing with less real estate. Right. And so I was, I've been trying to think since Dan, Dan asked about, you know, said we're going to be on is there a value to doing what we call Zenenthal priming for mechs? Do, uh, do you guys do that? I, you know, 
Maybe it all depends on if you've got if you've gotten mad airbrush skills, which do not have them here. Um, I do 80 to 90 percent of my work via brush, um, the hand, you know, brush in hand. I'm not sure the value is there. You know what I mean? For Battletech. I mean, do you guys then it's all prime or are you just straight up one color? I definitely try to because most of my factions that I paint are either yellow or white. So it definitely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I cut my teeth on yellow and then I promoted myself to white and I was like, man, I really do hate painting. Um, well, yeah. If you try to paint <laughs> yellow over black, yeah, you're not going to like painting. No, uh, no. And here um, I am painting white, prime black, <laughs> work up to white and, you know. And, and maybe it's this way too. Maybe it's a thought process of challenging of trying different color primers. Like instead of like you're painting a yellow army, uh, do a brown primer, mm-hmm. and then do I find your pink works really well as a primer for for yellow. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've you, heard that's this the show. <laughs> is that the Goobertown Hobbies? Uh, yeah, that's the, a thing that's been out late recently. Of uh, really cool. Um, yellow is you end up uh, with like pinks and and the magenta, and then you like put it uh, a light uh, ink over it or glaze. With it's uh, visually interesting. It is, <laughs> it actually, and it does it does work. Um, but when we look, you know, a lot of those are going to be a lot larger scale, and that normally wouldn't work if you had like that bright or that that bright yellow at the top. And then the dudes like ankles and below is that like deep red, orange color just doesn't quite, it doesn't fit. And I, and actually Mike, that, that made me really rethink, you know, cause I do try to send it all my, um, my mechs because I, I like that transition. I usually do three colors um, just to give a little bit of depth. Um, I'm going to be trying some different techniques, but if I wanted to go with a dark, you can't do the dark on the bottom because it just, it makes it look like a Christmas tree or that mm-hmm. transition. There isn't enough space and a mech to give a proper transition. So your colors are just going to have to be closer together, just right. enough to bring out that, Hey, this is lower. You're not getting as much light. This is higher because this is where the highlights are the the, the the light source is hitting um and it's something we you know we think about uh you know 40k it's a little different than some of those larger figures but when we do have something a little smaller you know each of those little panels they're pretty they're pretty tiny <laughs> we're looking at like one or two millimeters a piece and uh yeah to have to shade each of those just it, it's not really worth it um mm-hmm. so that's why i would go with thirds myself where you know if i wanted to slather a, a layer of uh of ink on top of it or a shade, at least it'll blend it together and at least get into the crevices and create a, at least a semi-natural um, oh, lines. Inside. I just thought of something that might help too. One of the things, if, if, if you prime black, do, has the world of makeup brushes hit Battletech yet? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've got my, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got my right here. Dry Excellent. brushing is actually dry brushing is, uh, is, is becoming a popular technique because it's easy to do. So one of the things, if you prime black, um, take a like a Vallejo pale sand um, or something. Yeah, I, ice yellow might be a little too yellowy, um, and or uh, you know a bone color would also work as well. Do a super light dry brush, and the direction that you want your light coming from, 
um, over a black primer and you're going to see your details start to pop and you'll see the angles of where, you know what I'm saying? Like it'll start giving you an idea about how you want to necessarily treat uh, something along those lines. And that's, um, so that, and your listeners aren't going to be able to see this, but so I'm do, right now doing a 120 millimeter figure and it's, uh, I hate metal paints. Uh, I think metal paints are crap. Oh. Every time somebody goes, this paint is amazing. I go, you're full of crap. It looks realistic. <laughs> no, it doesn't because it's tiny flakes of metal. It doesn't look like actual metal. I love dry brushing metals because I feel like they, it gives it a burnished look. Um, and you can kind of control kind of streakiness and textures on the metal that actually kind of look realistic and might've been in a battle. Um, and so, but yeah, you know, each dry brushing to me, I, I have to admit, I'm using it more and more and more and more and more, even in competition and display pieces. Yeah. The, uh, the priming black and dry brushing at the beginning really shows you which, uh, which of those, um, flashing lines that you missed <laughs> when you're putting that sucker together, they pop out immediately. No, well, you know what? That's kind of a good thing too, because then you can just take a little file. Uh, take, take care I, of it early. I, I, yeah, take care of it early. Don't do what I did in my first competition. And as I was handed in my diorama and I saw the, on the foot bottom of the foot, a uh, mounted figure, massive mold line that six months worth of work I missed the entire time. So oh. you get too, you get too zoned in and you don't, mm-hmm. you know, don't get oh, yeah. a, don't step back enough. Um, okay. Scaling. I, you were talking about scaling. Like uh, if you were to paint a tank and then paint a mech, how it would just be the same thing smaller, but it wouldn't be my current struggle um, with, with my, with one of my factions that I'm painting for smoke Jaguars. They have like a lot of Jaguar spots on them. And I find that if I try and do it like realistic camo, like the scale is so small and camo is designed to break up the outline of the mech, you know, doing, doing the, the arms length thing. It just looks like a mess because it does its job. It breaks up its, its outline. You can't tell it's a mech. It doesn't look pretty. Uh, it blends into the background. So to do a good camo job on a mech, it, I'm, I'm finding it difficult to, to separate, to, to paint bad camo on the mech to make it look good because good camo makes the mech look bad. <laughs> Have you tried doing like a like a digital camo pattern? Well, I'm I'm trying to copy like a, like a, a one from one of the factions and this this is the problem with trying to match, you know, 30-year-old art. But the solution so far is to ma- is to make the spots much bigger than they're supposed to be, which doesn't do a job of of making it look like camo, but but it's visually appealing. Uh, I just I just don't have the scale right for it to where it, well, it, it your perfect. artwork's out of scale too. Remember that. Right? Oh, that's so you're true, yeah. you're trying to you're trying to match it to make it look like that in, in scale, but that artwork is unless that's probably the biggest piece of paper I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> what it's printed on that's a, that's totally out of scale. You want it to pop on the tabletop, right? No, yeah. I God, I rhymed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so at some level, it's got to be out of scale to catch, like, it's kind of scale compensation that, yeah, I mean, it, like, I, honestly, you've probably got spotters, right, the spotter style paintbrushes, right? I don't know. Uh, those are going to be your, like, uh, 15 to 20 zeros. Those are little teeny mini. Yeah, I have, um, I use, uh, I actually just, I have not been using them. Um, and I just got a few of them from 
they had them at Michael's actually that were synthetic spotters. Uh, I got a five slash zero and a two slash zero and I think a one. And they're actually short haired fine tip brushes. So basically like if you take a fancy ass brush and clip this, snip the tip off of it, it's just the tip. There's not much of, there's not much of a belly on them. Yeah. But well, you know what Mike said about the belly, they dry almost instantly. Um, it's yeah because by the time you get it from here to here it's it's dry and you're like oh crap and you gotta dry it off and then you have to put a new thing on and there's an easy solution i know mike why don't you tell them what the easy solution is i don't want to because then we're going to ask us about things that are tools and tricks and tips and stuff and i don't want to then we'll wait until the tools we'll explain well i think the biggest problem is is you're using smoke jaguar but I got to look up all this lore do they, now. Do they, I know. I, I, we're, <laughs> I hear that a lot, but, you know, <laughs> someone's got to, because if you don't, who's, you know. Who's uh, they don't even exist anymore, right? So, Or do they? Or well, I don't know. Or do they? Well, I'm not. As a Wolverine guy, I mean, as, you know. <laughs> well, do Wolverines <laughs> exist? Maybe they somewhere. May. There might be some little tribe out there that exists. The, the, or, or really close. Yeah, there's a lot of lore. If you guys read the books, <laughs> read, read the books. Uh, the Wolverines may be closer than you think. They might. When you when you really break it down, Battletech is really sci-fi historical painting much more than you know something like Warhammer. Like Warhammer is like pick your primary color and your secondary think, color. Well, you know, I think really we're it. going to. I think we're going to get into that a little bit, and I have I have some thoughts on all yeah. that. Well, according to to some of the people who ran BattleTech early on, like in the in the uh, early '90s, a lot of the famous battles are actually based on actual historical World War World War II battles. So hmm. there's there's a lot of influence there. What the Turpitz affair has some relevance? Come on. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but no, I wanted to bring this up as soon as you said dry brushing because let's let's get to that iceberg because I've been I've there been waiting go. for okay. Let's a go to while. the iceberg. I, it made me cry when I looked at it. I did. I did. Yep. I'm no, like, it does. Oh, it does. It everything hurts. I know is is all level. But go ahead, go ahead, Josh. <laughs> take it away. <laughs> so you guys are saying dry brushing is you know is is a valid technique and showpiece worthy technique, and yet it's the very first thing at the tip top of the iceberg. Why? But why? Why does that matter where it is on the iceberg? If it's done well, it's done well crappy blending from glazing versus really good dry brushing. And you also have to think too. Now the, 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 the nature of dry brushing, even in the six years that I've been back in painting is totally different, right? Like that when I, definitely true. when I, when I dry brushed, when I was in high school, um, it was dusty looking. Uh, it was done with crappy craft paints and, um, half the time it's streaky because I didn't take enough paint off. And then the other time I'm sitting there whacking it for 35 minutes because no paint's going on. And yes, the pun was intended. (laughs) Um, But now though, in the dawn of like things like makeup brushes and, um, and this is, I'm going to throw this out there too, because when we took the, the, the Romans beginner class three or four years ago, he talked about thinning paints before dry brushing with them. And what about how it actually makes dry brushing less dusty. And so now you have kind of the, you, you have that whole artist opus dampening pad thing where you dip it and keep kind of thinning the paints on it as you go. And so it blends out more. So, yeah, I think that, and then, I mean, Bohun, there's an artist on Patreon on Bohun who's won tons of award and that's his main technique is dry brushing. Um, and so 
Yeah, it just just think about it. Things come in full circles. When I got back in six years ago, people still start, talked about airbrushing as cheating, right? Real artists don't airbrush. And now it's everybody and their brothers got 25 different airbrushes, Dan, in their house, <laughs> you know. Hey, if any of you mech warriors out there needs an airbrush, I have many that I have dropped and broken that you are more than welcome to have. <laughs> but <Mainly>. so yeah, <laughs> level, don't don't confuse the levels of the iceberg as level of skill of painter or level of quality of product, I, right? I think that's exactly what went through my brain to begin with. So I'm glad you said that because <laughs> because when you set it out like that, you know, my my brain immediately says, "Oh, these are tiers." It, Top is the is the lowest level. Bottom, you know, the bottom is the highest level. So, I'm only good if I can get down to the to the to the deeper levels. Wait, I'm no, only good if I can make my own paint. Come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, dude, I don't know what Dan was smoking when he was talking about that. Nobody makes their own paint. So, so, hold on. First, I want Dan to explain what the iceberg is for our non-visual oh, format. So. <laughs> Okay, so as Mike said before, he was a fan of horror movie, or horror, I guess, Zandra. I am too. I love horror movies. So I go online and you find stuff, you know, you're reading. And this iceberg popped up, like the different types of movies. And so what happens is the this iceberg is when the very f- top of the iceberg is everything that you normally see. So when you think, the first thing you notice, like, hey, I'm going to go paint these miniatures and you start to look for how to paint the first things that pop up to you are dry brushing using a wet palette using glazes here's a here's a layer here and but as you get as you like oh okay well i see this this thing called you know um washes but why am i using this wash oh the next layer is oh now you're creating a contrast so the, the more you learn about your techniques, um, you, you go into deeper levels. And sometimes it's understanding. Sometimes it's techniques. Sometimes it's just like, oh, why in the world am I even doing this? Because it's absolutely worthless. <laughs> but like making your own paints. I can just, yeah, the hardest thing you could probably do out there is to make your own paints. But is it really helping you out? Nah, mix it. You can mix your own paints, which is what, number three or something, number two or three. But then um, why even do that? Go buy your pre-made ones if you're going to be doing entire armies. Sometimes you have to mix your own, but that's mixing. You already have two different colors. You have your black and your white. Oh, you're going to make a little bit of gray or a dark gray or a light gray. So that was the idea of it. There's so many things that we see in the art world, but then as you get more into like what else can i learn what different techniques are there you start getting deeper and deeper and deeper into it. so that was kind of the idea of it and it's a giant iceberg and it's kind of fun to see you know when you start looking at horror movies and you're like wow texas chainsaw massacre is like level one what's at number five and then you're like average and traditional artist really wouldn't go that far because there's really no need and a majority of all your techniques that you end up using are going to be the ones that are readily available and the ones you learn first. It's about perfecting them. You know, yeah, I can dry brush like Mike's Mike's example, dry brushing with a big heavy dry brush, uh, or was you're not even using a dry brush, you're using a regular brush, and it's got a flimsy freaking 
brush tip and you're trying to dry brush on it and it's slimy all over the place. And you're like, well, geez, what, this isn't work. Look at that guy on the internet. His stuff came out pretty awesome. We progress a little bit more. We learn different techniques of dry brushing, how to actually properly use it. Uh, the the first thing I saw when Adepticon for all, you know, for the folks that know what Adepticon is, is the, um, the um, artist Opus guy was having hands on, on how he does his dry brushing. And the first thing I said to myself was, damn it. I think I sent you a text, Mike. I was like, man, we really messed up by not going this year because that is something I want to learn how to do. If I was able to learn how to dry brush like that, dude, man, I would be, I would be in heaven. That is something I really, I can, I dry brush all the time. I want to know how he dry brushes. What really makes his so smooth? What is it that he's missing? I can't learn that because I can't touch my screen. It doesn't work, but that having a hands-on and I'm very tactile, I need to know like, what does that paint feel like? What does the brush feel like? How damp is damp? We hear that a lot. How wet is wet? So, um, and I guess it depends on how you shake the brush and how you rub it and everything, but you know, <laughs> so yeah. So in a giant nutshell, it doesn't make much sense. Um, that's what the um, that's what the iceberg is. The, the tactileness that you're talking about totally makes sense because that's that's also, uh, I think that's how a lot of people learn. You know how how does that feel when he says just a little bit of of this until it's until it's damp? Exactly. What does that feel like to him? Or the consistency of milk. You know, uh, we, uh, Mike and I were in training, and we were each person was brought up to the palate to touch the paint to know what the consistency was. And we're like, oh, holy crap. Okay, we can leave now because we figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> Light, life is magical now. We got it. But that was just one technique, one, one I guess, thickness of paint or whatever it was. Or, and now we have to learn different ones, you know. Um, but it helps, you know. That's just the only way you can do it. How, again, how wet is wet? Yeah, and, and the iceberg in and of itself is kind of – it's all language, right? So glazing, feathering, layering, blending, wet blending, all that stuff is the same thing. It's all mm -hmm. blending, right? It's not, it's just kind of a little bit nuances in how you do it. A filter is still layering, you know, it, it but it's just how much of it we put on. And it's all, that's just the process of learning uh, and having fun. And honestly, it was a good chance to sit down and talk to Dev Sodagar from CK Studios, who's, who's become a good friend for a couple of hours and the, the stuff that got that was four hours of recording almost down to two and a half hour episode, something like yeah. that. I think I fell asleep at the end some point. So the reason why we started on his paint thing is because there used to be a store in Northern Virginia that had pure pigments and you can buy the pigments and you can mix your own paints because they had all the medians there also. And it was the fan. It was like, wow, this is the coolest thing in the whole world. Of course you couldn't open up any of the boxes unless you had a uh, mask on and stuff. And not because of COVID, because that shit gets in your lungs and kills you. Um, Raw umber. And, <laughs> yeah. Cadmium. Oh, yeah, oh, cadmium. Oh, my God. So we're talking the real pigment. Yeah, things. we're talking about, like, real pigments. Like, it's a special box, and it's, like, airtight, and you got to put gloves on to touch any of this stuff. And they give you, like – They had mummy brown, right? They probably had real mummies in there, too. <laughs> so – and that was, that was kind of, like, the joke, but my wife, she taught me about this stuff. She's like, oh, yeah, this is how – artists would do this and it was just like oh that'd be kind of fun thing are there any really any artists that do miniature painting that make their own paints 
No, it's not even, it's, I mean, for, you know, $500 for a freaking little tablespoon of blue when I can just go buy some apple crate for 99 cents or whatever it is and right. paint that blue. Get some Davian out there, right? You're obviously not dedicated enough to this then. We're no. not trying hard enough. We're not. For sure. we're not. <laughs> or using watercolors. Come on now. Just think about those. Nice- I use watercolors. <laughs> on your painting? Yes. Okay. And <laughs> what else would he use it for? Huh? <laughs> I pointed that out in the episode. I used watercolors. I told you I didn't listen to it. And I was probably asleep. <laughs> Absolutely. I use watercolors for shading and also for some form, some of uh, the subtle blends and feathering. And it works and it's beautiful. I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's why you win all those awards. Uh, but I, still. For the watercolors. Anyways. Though, this is why, because I still will say that my wife is a better, like, she paints a better miniature. I paint a better tabletop miniature mm-hmm. because she has more watercolor experience. So she's actually like doing like wet blending techniques. She taught me how to wet blend properly on a mm-hmm. on a big mm-hmm. model. I was like, normally I just paint and then I wash and then I somehow like do it in the middle. And she's like, no, 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 they have to be wet. And then you, I'm like, oh, what? No, no. Watercolorists have a huge advantage. So when it comes to like blending and stuff, my wife does the same thing. She loves watercolors and I'm just like, I don't get how you do that. How do you make that transition? So sweet like that. I mean, that's awesome. Well, they also study a lot of times study things like Verdaccio for painting skin colors and stuff and starting with the green undertone, green, gray undertone, et cetera. You know, there's not a whole lot of skin in our game, so we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I will say Except though, for that. That one Flashman that somebody on the Discord was painting? The Fleshman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's someone a long time ago painted a mech. Uh, What was it? Was it um, a Kodiak or something? And the whole thing was like blood drenched, (laughs) like because he came from 40K. And so the whole thing was blood drenched. It's like, do you know how many people that is? (laughs) That's like like a company and a half of people. Economy of scales. (laughs) Yeah. You might want to, (laughs) it's like little specs, not blood drenched men <laughs> but yeah so yes i know the iceberg is a lie but <laughs> we're trying to push battletech players and painters down it can be a little bit of a difficulty because someone can be comfortable and say they like i could, would probably say to a layman battletech player hey i've mastered dry brushing but in the entire scale of miniature painting i have not i'm you know finger paintings still well we could probably talk about like different degrees of each of them and again mike's example of the dry brushing um you know i i hate to say that sometimes the 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 equipment makes things better but use using an old brush that you clip off the tip of it so that you could have that bristle that's all popped out as your dry brush compared to makeup brushes and using large particle pigments compared to fine particle pigments uh makes a huge difference it really does there are some things you pay for what you get for and i know there are amazing artists out there that use crappy dollar store brushes and they win awards well that's them for me my painting improved when i increased the quality of the tools that i used and when i increased the quality of the paint brushes uh it made it easier to learn how to blend. Right. And so when after, I don't know about y'all, but every time I've used a crappy synthetic brush, 
one of two things happens within three minutes. It looks either like buckwheat or it's got a hook at the end. Right. And like, well, I can't do a detail with that now either way. Or I guess if I had to paint up and under something, I have a nice little nifty hook at the end. I was like, that, you know? that's exactly what I'm using them for. Like, oh, now now you get between armor panels. <laughs> yeah. But see, I don't need 40 brushes with that same hook. Right. Like two or three of those having a, you know, one and a couple of backups. Awesome. But, you know, for me, you know, I, like it's. I guess at some level, you know, what if I go out and spend every couple of months, I spend fifteen twenty dollars on forty paintbrushes. By the end of the year, I'm I'm paying more than the two good brushes that I take good care of, and you you know what I'm saying like that mm-hmm. that's cost. It's cheaper to lay outlay the for those couple of good brushes and cleaning them than necessarily buying you know for uh for rushes in bulk you, you, know? you could have bought a whole sable and you know defer oh, the sable just, yeah we could just harvest out our own and we could just start our own like listening Wait. to paint dry paint brushes is, is this not Made why by... we grow our beards long so we can use them for rushes when we run out of money oh. god i heard somebody like said that i was reading a form and they're like i pull out a nose hair to paint the eyes <laughs> I've heard, I've heard the eyelash, the beard, and I'm like the, the pupils and the uh, the top in the lensing. I was like, I was like, it's not worth it. No, yeah, no. Josh, Josh saw me a couple weeks ago, so obviously I have I've have since harvested mine. Yeah, I've been painting getting there. You've been painting seriously. That's Make right. Brushes made by real humans. No. Yeah, I, I, a little bit. I'm not talking. You don't need to go buy the thirty dollar Da Vinci masterpiece brushes or i honestly even if they listen to this sorry artisopress your brushes are rosemary and company brushes that are three dollars a piece if you buy them from rosemary company as opposed to yours in a wooden box shots fired i don't know i mean that's you can get really good quality rosemary and company brushes for three dollars a piece that's not much more expensive than a good cheap than a good synthetic which is kind of a redundant you know an oxymoron a good synthetic brush um sorry i <laughs> i'm still using the same original brushes from you know, years ago when i first got in and synthetics i'm like cool this is done after a project right yeah like, like i just i just have to admit hey these aren't going to last the whole time so i'm just gonna like wear them mm-hmm. down i'm not gonna not going to treat them well. I'm just going to trash them. And it's easier mentally to accept that when I start it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, but yeah, definitely. You know, the way I think, uh, you're going to start seeing more and more, um, there's crossovers that we're seeing. Like the example, you know, you talked about the whole Duncan Rhodes painting a battle tech, right? He's kind of a gateway. So now we probably have people now seeing him paint other stuff. And it's really, it's funny because he paints a kind of a basic level an introductory level um, for his videos. Cause it's, they're, they're designed to be introductory get people hooked in. He takes them up a couple of levels, but he's a stellar painter. Like when he paints for himself personally, he he's an amazing painter, like yeah. a rock star type. Painter. And it looks different than his stuff that he had to produce yeah. for, you know, for us academy or for you know yeah. and so that's we're all brought into this hobby whether it's via army painter p3 games workshop with kind of the same mentality you put a base coat on you throw a shade and then you go to highlights because that 
is kind of the standard was three colors up, right? That's what a tabletop miniature is. And so you only really technically need one. You need your base coat, your shade, and your highlight, and your tabletop ready. With some sand, throw some sand or baking soda on the base, blammo. You got a tuft, you, you, your game ready, right? And so those are kind of, to me, that's what the iceberg kind of is. It's a little bit kind of your first one is free, right? Like, and you try to, like, the more you want to, like, you get hooked into the painting side, the more you invest. And I feel like that's going to start happening. Um, I've seen some amazing Battletech minis on Instagram I, while I was prepping a little bit for this episode over the weekend i was looking through some stuff i know that i i don't remember the names of the painters because it's been a crazy weekend with looking at stuff from i don't know if you guys know the golden demon was going on this weekend too and so literally all weekend long i've been inundated with pictures of miniatures of all different shapes and sizes um and so there are some 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 badass battle tech painters out there um and so i think that as people see more of their work and do what kind of happened to me and see it in the display case and go, Ooh, I want to do that. You know, um, you're going to get more and more. It's going to be easier to pull people along into, Hey, you know what? If you knew a little bit about color theory, your mechs are going to pop better, you know, or if you know a little bit more about color theory, you'll understand why that color scheme doesn't work and why people are running away from your table, you know, and the- <laughs> Like they're like my eyes, my eyes, and that can be a very effective tactic. <laughs> Fair enough, painting a battle mech. Yeah, it could be a strategy. Um, works both ways. So I think um, podcasts like your 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 guys' podcast are on the right path for bringing melding the two worlds together of painting and battle tech. I paint so I can play, and I play so I don't have to paint. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, yeah. I have to share a little side story. Uh, last year, getting ready for ReaperCon, um, I had a piece that I, w- I did in a dollar store champagne glass. And it had a palm tree in the back. It was kind of a shipwreck thing. And the glass was broken. And the water was pouring out over the glass. Uh, I was kind of like, uh, woohoo, look at me. I'm fancy. Um, and I had some AK Interactive uh, paper plants in there. And then I did my resin pour. And I waited to the last minute to do my resin pour because I haven't done a ton of them and I was using ultraviolet resin. Um, so it's a little bit different than I just do it a pour, a straight up pour. One of the ways you get rid of bubbles is by using a lighter. Dumb ass me <laughs> forgot about the paper plants. And let me just say they're flammable. They go up quickly and they go away quickly. Like literally there was nothing like they went whoosh and were gone and just left uh, black soot marks on the back of the champagne glass. Fortunately, I was able to recover and that, you know, I love that story because I actually uh, Reaper bought that from me oh. at ReaperCon. And so it kind of turned out to be a cool little story um, for it. But I feel your pain on lighting stuff on fire. I do it uh, way too often. But, you know, that's what kind of the hard thing is, right? Um, I've watched uh, skull- people do the taking fire to the display plinths to kind of give it a charred look as well and to kind of give it that... Um, a lot of that stuff doesn't translate well to it smaller doesn't. scales. It doesn't. Um, I see it work l- really well with larger scale Gundams and like armor modeling, like where you kind of take like the heat pen and kind of puncture the armor and stuff to get it a bullet wound. But as that scale goes, 
I would con- consider sticking to like using pigments and, um, you know, uh, pigments and uh, freehand, etc. I mean, and that freehand is kind of a dirty word because if you paint anything on a flat surface or a blank surface, that's actually freehand. Whether you're covering it completely or whether or not you're drawing a lion's head, it's all freehand. And so once we kind of break that fear of fear freehand, I think things will get better. Now that scale, I'm going to try when, when I get this figure from Dan, I'll see him in two weeks. He's going to pick out a mech for me and I'm going to paint it as a challenge. And uh, we'll see if I can add any freehand to it. That actually looks legible. But I, I guess on the other side of it is that any, um, most of that, the real life stuff doesn't translate well. And uh, miniature painting is all smoke and mirrors, no matter what scale you're at. Yes. So pun intended, but everyone has to set one on fire just to see. I wish it was just one. I've had to had a few experiences with a heat gun. Yeah, my, my wife took my heat gun away from me. Oh. So, you know, I've set a couple of bases on fire as well. So, you know, glad I'm not alone. That's, that's what I'm taking out of this, this conversation. The only other thing I can think of denim was maybe jeweling like lenses. Like everyone wants to jewel a laser. Everyone wants to lens and, uh, that, that's that one of those things that focal point of a mech. I mean, that's that, I. I don't think it ever should be. Um, like it looks nice from from a distance, but when you get up on it, to me, at least the ones I've seen, seen, it it just looks like a bullseye, like in there, <laughs> like in the weapon. Oh, are you talking about the new the new the new style where it's like blue on a top and then it's like orange? I I like the way that looks from a distance, though, right? Not like. And I don't, and I, I am not crapping on the creativity. It does look cool, but is it really like what a reflective glass would look like? So that's, that's my only issue. I do like the two color because it's kind of like that thermal shielding kind of mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. So I do like the dual color that way. Um, but the, I don't know, the seven and the L, the, the ones in the corners, I understand it, but I just, uh, my my reality check for unrealistic game goes into play, and then it kind of throws me off a little bit. But yes, I have tried many, many times, and maybe it's just me because I can't figure out how in the world they're able to do it on that scale because some of those windshields are freaking tiny. Like, yeah, like Space Marine eyeballs that you're trying to like write up some someone's like name in it. It's pretty freaking small. So it's just... So maybe that's where my angst is with that. Um, I just like my regular blending from a dark color to a light color for the light source. It kind of gives you a feel like, hey, this is a windshield. Uh, it might have that kind of thermal kind of color to it, the greenish, bluish color we see on fancy cars kind of thing. It's, it's all like, like, what lore are you using to decide what that is made out of? Yeah. And and you and you interpret it like that, and that's how you, you paint it. I mean, some mechs are very very enclosed, but there is an awful lot of art that shows that hey, this is just glass. Yeah, just <laughs> glass. Know, the the person is like they're waving at you. As and then you got like the, or, the battle master, where where it's just seventy to eighty percent of it is all clear. Where's yes. the thunderbolt? It's just that one little tiny line. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, you know what? This is going to be totally random and has nothing to do with anything else. And I apologize, but I forgot. I, I meant to mention this before when you we were talking about helping with with just kind of color schemes and basic starting of painting. Um, prime your miniature black, put it under a light, 
turn off all the other lights in the room and take a picture. And you'll see how light interacts. Like you put it directly under a light, a lamp once it's black prime. Cause most primers, even though they say they're flat, have a little bit of a sheen to them. They're kind of satiny. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to get a good visual of a top down view of what the lights are, how the lights are interacting with your, with your mech. That's fantastic. Uh, I love um, that. And so that's a way to do it. If you want to go fancy, you could even, if you want something like, if you wanted to try doing non-metallic metal on it, um, do it with a gloss primer and then do the picture off the gloss primer. Cause you're going to get like really super huge reflections um, off of it. But that's just an, uh, that, I, I apologize that it was in my head before. And I'm like, it just kind of spilled wow. out now. I'm glad you did. <laughs> Was there anything that you guys will want to talk about? I know. Let's see. Want to do you want to do tools for the trade first, or you know whatever? Mike has a tool for the trade that I really want to hear. Oh, the spot the spot brushes. Oh yeah. Yes. So, um, and I got to give this 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 is a props to where I learned it from is the Vince Venturella's hobby cheating videos. Um, and I commented on something, and I was like, "Dude, my paint keeps drying." He's like. Dip your brush in retarder medium, dip it next into a little bit of a Liquitex flow aid, and then grab a little bit of color and mix it. And you won't like one of the issues where you have with like uh, if you use retarder medium or what's called slow dry is it kind of thickens the paint. So it takes longer to dry. But if you're only using just a little bit of like on the tip of your brush for that one paint application, it'll stop you from getting dry tip and it'll allow you to kind of manipulate the paint a little bit easier. So if you're on a spotter brush, you can spot it in, clean it off a little bit, clean off your brush, and then you can kind of clean up around it with a clean brush too. So that that that's kind of the I, I actually just got went went to Michael's on Friday and bought a new thing of retarder medium because I was out because I, I I use it almost every time I paint now, and especially if I'm doing a. Uh, I find that it helps decrease chalkiness of the lighter paints. So the higher the paint value of white, um, either using gloss varnish or something like a retarder medium, because it's got, it'll stick those uh, pigments together. uh, You'll get less and less chalky. I like it. Good. Is that the same stuff that we use for like airbrushing, like mixing for airbrushing stuff? Or is that, or is that a different, the retarder medium? Um, Um, you, I have never used airbrush retarder medium. I know it exists. Um, I use like Vallejo makes it in the little tubes mm-hmm. uh, in their little po- dropper bottles, but also uh, all the artistic lines like Liquitex and Golden do. The only I will warn you if you use Liquitex, it'll actually gloss up your paint really badly because uh, it does have a high gloss value. But Golden's is pretty flat. Um, I, I've never used it through an airbrush. I am probably you would call me a mediocre novice airbrusher yeah um i just i just meant because like it that's the difference between me just going into the garage you know digging through all my airbrush stuff trying to see if i have any stuff that works or just going and buying a new new if you have a vallejo airbrush flow improver yeah I've got it's that. not it's not quite the same effect because it's not as thick like you'll know immediately okay. the difference between a, a retarder a retarder is going to make your paint look like oil paint got it. um because that's why, you know, the viscosity of it's going to change. But uh, flow improver will help. You will not get as long of time period. Um, the other one is if you've got GW Lamy and Median, uh, which I can't lie. I, I use that stuff 
I, I, I don't know. I put Lamy and medium on my Lamy and medium. I love that stuff. I use that stuff all the time. Um, I don't usually thin with water. Uh, so I use me like I use mediums or like Liquitex flow aid or something like that. Cool. Good to know. Thank you. Is that the only, that the only good thing we should be buying from GW or the paints for, <laughs> yeah. you know, it really, you know, when we start, we get, we have a whole entire episode about paints. Um, you know, some paints I mm-hmm. just love from GW. Some yeah. paints I just, I hate them, but I like, even tonight I was, you know, when I were talking about those yellows, um, I ended up going into my get rid of bag and pulled out three different GW paints. Cause I was just like, Oh, I forgot how much I really love this paint and it works for me. Sometimes you just find a color in a paint that just happens to work, but it wouldn't work for any other manufacturer that had the exact same color. It's just, you know, it's an unfortunate thing that we run into as, as painters. And I paint by color, not brand. And so yeah. if there's some, if I see a color I like, I'll buy it. Um, I, I, I have to tell you, I am becoming more and more partial to uh, the folk art pure pigments. Uh, I don't know if you've seen them in the, like they're like, and they look like craft paints, but they actually are called pure pigments and they're like $2 for 22 milli, like the big bottle of them. They're actually almost like heavy body acrylics, uh, which are real. They're actually pretty nice. I'm like, wow, these actually work really well. But the other tool, the other GW tool is the mold line remover. I don't know if you guys have ever had one or not, but I, I got to tell you, it works great on plastic, but it's amazing on resin. Uh, and I paint mostly resin figures right now. Uh, I love it. I don't know. Do you guys have you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh the yeah, mo- yeah. Okay, yeah. And, and I, I, honestly, there's now other companies like Scale Seventy Five and Green Stuff World. They both have them now too, so they're cheaper. But I got to give props to the to the GW one on that. On it. But uh, I'd say that good brushes uh, don't. <sighs> If anybody like, I don't know, I, I feel bad if game envy li- listens to this, this, this episode, but don't waste your money on a fancy palette. I use a 50 cent tray. I got at uh consignment sale, uh, paper towels and parchment paper. Uh, so yeah, that, uh, for my wet palette, I have a red grass games palette and I always throw the paper away and put parchment paper on it anyway. So then I go, Holy crap. Why does this sponge smell like a locker room? Um, even though I put pennies and other stuff in it to fight it, I'm like, you know what? Paper towels. I go always end back at the same place. And so, um, other tools, color, get a color wheel, having a color wheel handy, uh, and not just on your computer screen, but I put mine on my wall. Um, just, it's good to see, you know what? There's a reason why, uh, most movie posters are teal and orange. Because they're complementary colors, they work, they catch your eye, and they make you want to make you want to look at them, you know. And so, just that t- those are those are kind of my main suggestions as far as tools go. Cool, very cool. Anything from you, Dan? Mike usually just talks for me, but um, oh, <laughs> um, I tell him what tools to use. That's no, right. I, I, you um, make him review them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, brushes. Brushes are really. It's as bad as the iceberg. Because Wait, Dan, are you saying that painters should get some brushes? They should. And okay. Be, All right. And and I'm talking about like bristle brushes, not just the airbrushes, because <laughs> that's a whole other episode there. Um, brushes have different characteristics, and you can get a very 
high quality Raphael brush that costs a lot of money and it might not be your style. It might not, it might not work the way that you want it to. So Mike likes his brushes to have a little bit more flex. Um, I like mine very stiff because of the way that I paint. Um, so we have different likes when it comes to brushes, even though all the brushes are fantastic. So when someone says, Hey, go out there and buy the artist opus or go buy, um, Blick masters, whatever's, or go buy Da Vinci's or whatever. That's their own personal preference because they really enjoy those. If you can, if you got somebody in a store or if you have a store that let you test the brushes, just give them a feel. They got to have that texture in it. I, like I said, I like mine very, um, very firm when I do my painting because of this, the way that I do my painting. So I need to have that type of brush. And I have tons of brushes that I purchased when I heard they were good brushes, but they have a lot of flex. And so I can't use them. I, I find that that's very difficult to use those. I think that's one of the most important things. Um, find a brand of paint that you really like. It, there's You can't go wrong with buying a black and a white. I know that the, the white can get chalky and everything, but um, a black paint, just to know or to have a feel of how that paint acts. You have gel-based paints. you got acrylic-based paints. you got oils. You have different types of acrylics that are being used, different medians that are being used with all these different manufacturers. So basically the same paints, but you might find that like one just doesn't work with you that well. Just give one a try. Uh, instead of saying, oh, I got to buy the mega box of this one because everybody says it's cool. And then you find out that it doesn't really jive with you. And then you end up going and buying other things. Uh, Mike, it doesn't work as much because he goes by colors. I did that for the longest time also. But I found that the more colors that I have, I have probably like 17 colors of yellow. But why? Why do I have that much? So for me, I'm trying to grow by limiting my palette i need you know if i want a yellow i want to use a, a very specific yellow um that comes from a set so that's i'm going back to the sets when i said don't go to sets but that limits my i know how the paints interact i know that i enjoy those paints so i will buy a set of those and and work with those until the next one comes out I was just going to say, I also know why you have a bunch of yellows is because finding a good yellow is worth its weight in gold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And browns and greens. I, it seems like I have every color of the rainbow because. I, I, you know, Dan's been buying new sets and I've been on the other side download. I've been downsizing ever since I lost about somewhere between 70 to a hundred paints on my way back from ReaperCon. Uh, I haven't replaced most of them. If I not, have a whole lot of Vallejos if you want them. Nope. Oh. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I actually just threw away, I'm, I'm working on a blood bowl commission right now. And I just threw away three paints that I emptied you doing this commission. I'm like, woohoo. I have in another paint line, I have the same exact color. So I'll just use that and keep, keep going till, um, they go until they're all gone. You know, it's going to be, it's different with, with, with like in commission painting, because if this guy comes back to me, I got to for more blood bowl players. I got to have that same red. So, but you know, but, but there's a little tip and trick for everybody too. paint commissions, paint or force yourself to paint a lot and you'll get better. I've noticed in the last year, my painting has actually skyrocketed because uh, of how much I'm painting. 
but so paint commissions. There you go. Opposite advice. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it for money. Don't do it for money. No. Oh no, I'm not doing it for money. I'm doing it for practice. But no, I I did it because I wanted to like branch on like, Hey, I'm really yellow, white, gray, blue. Like these are my three schemes that I do for, you know, 12 different game systems. And it's like, if I do commissions, people are going to make me paint like Nurgly green or like Eldar purple (laughs) clown. So it's like, yeah, now, now I can do, you know, the little diamonds and the Harlequin, you know, paint scheme. And it's like, wish I'd never learned how to do that, but I guess I'm good at it now. Right. Well, I, it backfired on me too, for a degree, because for the same guy, I've painted, uh, all of his Dungeons and Dragons miniatures, all of his X-Wings, X-Wing game, uh, his Robotech game, and now finishing his Blood Bowl, which well, I don't know why he's got 29 Blood Bowl miniatures. I don't know why you never use that many in a game, uh, but they're all red, white, and green because those are his high school colors. Oh, And I'm so sick of red, white, and green that, but I've gotten really fast at painting red, white, and green now. <laughs> so, you know. But, but honestly, more of it was a repetition thing. And that's, I know there were a couple of really good, like uh, in in the Richmond area, Oscar Lars is an amazing painter. I don't know if you know uh, who Oscar is. Uh, He's somebody definitely check check out. But uh, in his studio, when he has apprentices come on, that's the first thing. He's like, you're going to spend this year only painting armies. And the reason why is because you're going to get repetition, you're going to get practice and things are going to get cleaner and cleaner and you're going to paint faster and not worry about the stupid shit. Uh, and it, it, and I'll tell you, when we took a painting class with a couple of people that were his apprentices in this past October, they were good painters. <laughs> they were good painters. Now, granted, one one's cheating because he's a tattoo artist, but ah. you know, that's a little bit of cheating there, but um you know uh, repetition helps paint a lot yeah we all got those uh kickstarter mechs so yeah just start painting them yeah oh hell don't even do that Dude, go cheaper do go we to the, reaper bones is coming out and like you'll get like you spend a hundred dollars you get like 300 miniatures to practice on i mean it's ridiculous uh, yes i battle tech i understand but you know everybody should cross genres <laughs> cross genres now uh, you've painted robotech miniatures that's like a lawsuit away from Battletech. That's right. Yep. 100%. <laughs> yes. But I, I wish uh, I, I would have had to paint him in a jet fire color scheme. And there we go. We got a double cross lawsuit. Nice. Oh. Robo- Battletech suing one and Robotech suing Transformers. You know, <laughs> we got everybody in there now. I, I did Wait. see someone do a very nice Phoenix Hawk LAM model, modeled after jet fire. It was nice. someone put some serious work into that. It looked beautiful. You know, you know, we joke around about um, about not doing the the bones Kickstarter, but when you paint a lot of one thing, sometimes you need a palette cleanse, and I totally believe in those. You got to just do something different. I have, you know, I have a couple of Space Marines that are on my table that when I get just, I'm tired of just that block of color. I can just start over okay let me do i know i'm going to do this space marine in this color now i can transition back to a different force pack or something like that that i'm going to be painting or a different color scheme um it's just good even if it's just one just to get through it because if you keep doing the same thing over and over again 
you start to lose that hobby connect with it. It's, it's, is it a job? Is it a chore? It's not fun. I mean, we always want it to be fun. It's supposed to be a hobby, a stress reliever, something we, we have fun with, but when it sounds, you know, when it makes you stressful, um, it, it's no, that's not what we, that's not what we're looking for. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always tried to paint at least two factions, um, just to have variety, just to have, you know, exactly that break from, from one army. You know, I paint a lot of Krita. I don't, I don't want to paint red today. So now I'll paint like smoke Jaguars. Everyone always paints their Krita red. I'm like, I, I have two other paint schemes for them. I'm just not done with the red ones yet. I have to look up all this lore now. I, now I'm curious. You guys have stoked oh my, my curiosity. There's, there's only like 37 years of it. So yeah, it's well, not like- truthfully, it's going to first, it's going to be a Google image search. So that was, that's where I'm going to start with and start getting my feet with camo specs Let's online with camo specs. Why? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> i mean but this is the thing do you choose the digital reference or the you know oh i like actual the digital miniature reference. the digital ones look so cool i know and it's definitely you know it's kind of hard to like oh how in the world do they make all those freaking lines because it's only like a hair hair cross but um i don't know i like what camo specs does and i like the the uh the compilation one even though it's all electronic, I do like the colors and it gives you, you know, sometimes you have to have a reference and we can go to a whole entire thing about references. Yeah. Um, but it gives us, you know, it gives you an idea of like, Hey, it doesn't have to be a block yellow critter or it doesn't have to be all red. It can be multiples of things. And then we start getting into the pirates and we can get periphery and mercenaries and stuff like that. If you're not painting rust and patchwork armor for those, are you doing it right? <laughs> I mean, the, the reality is it, it the rabbit hole goes as deep as you want it to. Yes, it does. Oh, so was there anything else you guys wanted to talk about? And I know it's so deep. It's so deep. It, it can it can get very deep. Well, you know, um, you know, some point we'll we'll probably have you guys on the show, and we'll have um, a different, I guess, a different take. Maybe we'll talk more battle tech than painting uh, when yeah. you guys come on. Because uh, worst <laughs> worst case, I talk about what the tabletop miniature, you know. Knowing your the things are going to get abused and touch you, you physically touching them against other people's models. It's like gloss yes, and you, then matte. Then I don't. Not I, don't I don't. That's what I do. I don't what? varnish at all. What? What? I don't varnish at all. The, really? Those, those the, the mechs that I took to that tournament, the one second place for wow. best painted, no varnish metal. I, I no do. Varnish. I do exactly what Dan oh does. I do the, the the gloss with the matte on top of it, and and they're bulletproof. Mike's yeah. Mike's shaking his head, but he's muted. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, if we could have a real life mute, that would be awesome. I didn't even do that at this time. Uh, maybe I just tapped because I was looking at smoke jaguar stuff. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, see the the spots. Um, I do. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, varnish ruins the paint job. Yeah. Oh, jeez, Mike. Yes. We're not talking it about does not wrong. Varnish takes away the the last highlight. And when I'm painting white and yellow, that last highlight kind of important. Okay, so I don't. It is I, the whole thing I'm painting for. Everything else is just to get to the top highlight. Yep. I, I won't varnish the ones that I keep on the display shelf forever, but the ones that, I, like Josh says, I'm bumping up against other people on the table. Other people are picking them up, dropping them on the floor. I'm varnishing those, every yeah. single one of them. See, I, uh, I've had my, no luck with metal miniatures. When I used to paint the 40K Terminators, if I looked at them, they chipped. I'd spray testers on them, they'd chip. I spray enamel crap that you know comes in this like fogger type stuff 
and they would still chip. So I'm like, I gave up. I'm like, first on the decreasing amount of metal miniatures, I <laughs> solved that problem. But yeah, no, I know just trying not to touch them, but I drop stuff. I, bre- I like, I, 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 I have broken <laughs> nine feathers on his back. Oh, oh not geez. the owl. No, I broke both of the horns off his head. Oh. I've broken the staff. Let's like, not even get to the broken base yet. Denim hasn't you, seen it, so I'm going to send him the what, pictures. For what that, are you but. doing to that thing, Mike? Are you like playing catch with your kids? I know, like varnish isn't going to help that. Like dropping. No, but it my point is that <laughs> varnish ain't going to protect shit from me, <laughs> <laughs> from you. Okay, that's so. That's, so you know, here's an interesting. Um, Josh, how long have you been? How long have you been playing? Playing with yeah. metal models. Yeah, I'm on year like. Seven. Oh, okay, nice. so you notice the old school guys are the first thing we talked about was protection because <laughs> I've been playing since the eighties. Protect your protect your figures so you don't mess them up and stuff. I but, varnished them and I so was it, like, I don't like how it comes out. Oh. It's not. I will like cool. I have to repaint minis every decade. Yeah, I <laughs> that. Josh has this this thing about repainting his minis every battle if they've taken damage. So. Like after every battle, so he's okay with, with that. painting them every time. I can see okay that in a campaign. That. I think in a campaign that would be kind of fun. Like, hey, here's here's some battle damage, but 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 I host games, so I I just don't have that kind of time. And then again, I play once every fifteen oh, years at this point. Uh, so. Right right now, I play I play about three to four times a month. So. Oh, oh my gosh, I wish we were that active. Actually, the guys in our area said, hey, we're doing a campaign in our house. We're not going to the stores anymore. We're like, oh, crap, man. So I'm like, geez, okay. I mean, I don't mind it. It's cool. It's just, um, you know. After the, after the third beer at somebody's house, it devolves into, like, the game is just takes, it just starts crawling. <laughs> it's like, how much did I scavenge at that guy? I'm, oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> It's like a weekend long risk game in college. Oh man, I used to do this every six months. We'd do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we used to. Now we were we were old school, old painted uh, battle mix. We put it out on the whole floor and just play until we just collapse. Yep. You know, just. I guess people still do that nowadays, but <laughs> a little old for that. Now it's just Alpha Strike. It would be done in like twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's really it's yeah. you know it, I, I've learned a ton from you guys. Thank you. I know Mike's got a lot of deep diving to do, and I can't wait to talk his ears off in two weeks when we have to take that trip. Where can our listeners find you guys if they want to learn more about making miniature painting miniature art? Uh, The easiest way to find us is we are actually on uh, 245 different podcatchers. So anything from Apple to this is why I pay 20 bucks a month to upload an episode and they take care of it. Um, And so supposedly uh, everything from Amazon to that. And then we're also uh, we have a YouTube channel, which is just audio right now. Uh, So if you are a person that says I refuse to listen to podcasts, uh, and you must watch a YouTube video, then you can watch our logo for an hour <laughs> while you listen to us. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, we're listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan. And then our favorite is Twitter. We are at Dry Listening. Uh, oh. But no, Dan, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Just talking. Yeah, like guys. I said, painting is, I didn't make the joke, but it, we talk about the iceberg, it really goes all the way down to the sea floor on how deep you want to go. 
there, yeah, I, as I didn't realize how big the the BattleTech painting the interest was until we did that that uh, Discord and and the center channel is is hobby progress and just mm-hmm. just like that's all it is just so many mech painting so many different ideas yeah. uh, things I wouldn't have even thought of and I'm like wow people are really really into this like this is a this is a topic that that people want to know about how many people who play BattleTech have never played a game but they've got 400 painted minis. Oh, I know quite a few people. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to throw this out there too. If you guys or any of your listeners uh, want hobby tips, we'll, we'll talk to you about pay, uh, help uh, with, with like give you critiques and things along those lines. Listening to paint dry at gmail.com. We, we'd love to hear from people and we'll, we, we will, our, our door is always open. We believe that this is a community regardless of whether you think trains tanks or battle tech mechs whatever we're all in the same we all have the same goal which is to be better braver happier painters thanks again mike and dan can't wait to check you guys out on the next episode of listening to paint dry all right i hope the mech bay paint team was listening today so they can finally make my mechs look as good as i imagine them check us out next time when we talk how to pick the right mech and the right variant and building a list I'd like to thank all of our patrons for finger-painting the mechs for our last deployment while we unplugged the sprayers. Without you guys, we wouldn't have macaroni art to hang on the cooling jackets. Check us out on Facebook at the Mech Day Podcast or send us an email at mechdaypodcast at gmail.com. See you guys on the battlefield.